Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Direct Snap. As always, I'm your host, Drew Allen, and we had another crazy week in college football. Um, so without any further ado, man, let's just go ahead and jump into these headlines. Uh, first of all, on Sunday, Florida decided to part ways with Dan Mullen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thankfully, it's uh, you could see it coming. Uh, after the collapse of last season, losing LSU, the explosion that was the bowl game or letdown that was the bowl game <clears throat> and then you know this season they come in they play Alabama close earlier in the year and then it was just a downhill spiral from there you lose to Kentucky you lose to a bad LSU team get routed by Georgia get routed even worse by South Carolina and then lose to a Missouri team that's not very good either um they made the right decision it was time for a new voice there you could see it coming um, the Gators currently sit at 5-6 and six this year. Um, Dan Mullen, it was announced by Scott Strickland anyway, that Dan Mullen will not coach Florida State against Florida State this weekend. He was given the opportunity and decided uh, it was best for the team to have a new voice in there. He didn't want to be a distraction. So in the interim, Greg Knox will serve as the coach for this week as they get their search underway for a new head football coach at the University of Florida. Uh, Greg Knox served as the interim at Mississippi State when Mullen decided to take the Florida job, so he's got a little bit of experience there, and they will take on Florida State, as I said, to try to get bowl eligible. This is a battle for who will be bowl eligible. If Florida State wins, they're bowl eligible. If Florida wins, they will be. And it's pretty important for the Gators to get a new staff in there and you know salvage together what they can on early signing day, but also those bowl practices would be big with a new offensive scheme and game plan, defensive game plan potentially. So we'll get into some candidates later in our coaching carousel update. I got a little bit something different for y'all this week, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, moving on, another big takeaway from the weekend, Oregon, number three in the country team, goes to Utah and just gets ran out of the stadium. They got beat 38-7. to um, This really opens up a path for Cincinnati to get into the playoff, and we'll talk about that more in also in a few minutes, but, I mean, they just got completely ran out of the state of Utah. Utah was more physical. They were up for the challenge. They played a good ball game. Kyle Whittingham has a really good program there. They play a really good, disciplined style of football. And they just came out and hit Oregon in the mouth repeatedly. Didn't let them get anything going offensively. Oregon could really never get into the flow of the game. So that really impacts, you know, what the playoffs are going to look like going forward because a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon with a, a win over Ohio State team that really put a lot of people on notice this weekend would have got in, I thought. So that really updates the playoff and gives us a path for not just Cincinnati but potentially even a couple different teams. So, yeah, Oregon, man, they just got ran out of the building. Uh, Mario Cristobal, does he have his eye on, you know, leaving there and taking a different job? Who knows? Uh, I thought the timing was kind of interesting. All these jobs opening. You know, Florida opened yesterday. I'm recording this Monday morning. And Miami's potentially going to open with Manny Diaz. That's where he's from. That's where he played. So did he have, you know, one eye on the future and just not have his team ready? Who knows? But they just got completely decimated by a, a solid Utah team that actually, going back to our first takeaway from the weekend, Florida actually opens up with next year. So that should be an interesting game for a Interesting first game for the new coach. Lastly, the big takeaway, the big game of the weekend, top 10 matchup between Ohio State and Michigan State. Um, Ohio State just put the whole country on notice that that offense, 
we knew it was had the potential to be special, but it's it's clicking on all cylinders right now. They got a chance to have three thousand yard receivers and a thousand yard rusher, and C.J. Stroud just, I mean, he looked like Tom Brady out there honestly Saturday, just dime after dime after dime to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and those boys. This offense, man, it's it's scary good, as I was saying. It's it's electric. I think it's the best unit in the country that's probably not Georgia's defense. And that would be a heck of a matchup to watch how Georgia's defense tries to match up with these guys and how they, they try to scheme around Georgia's defense if we do eventually get that game. But as I said, all those weapons, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Travion Henderson in the backfield, and you got Stroud pulling the strings, that's a, that's a scary Scary proposition for anybody in the country right now because they're clicking on all cylinders. They got Michigan coming up this week. Michigan's one loss team. They if they beat Ohio State, they're going to the Big Ten championship game. And if Ohio State beats them, they're going to the Big Ten championship game. We'll get into that game and I'll make a pick on it a little bit later. But Ohio State put the country on notice that they're a force to be reckoned with and they're they're coming for that top spot. So those are the three biggest takeaways from the weekend. Um, as we move on here. I'm going to give you an updated top six of how I would rank them. I don't rank them like the committee does. I, I do more of who I think would beat who as of this moment. So, number one, you got to put Georgia. I think, you know, they've put everybody on notice how dominant that defense has been this year. They, they you know, they're giving the ball at the goal line to Jordan Davis, try to up his Heisman candidacy maybe. So, you know, they're just clicking on all cylinders right now. I mean, granted, they hadn't had much of a test. Clemson – Week one, we thought was going to be a huge test. Ended up not being. Clemson's not very good, even though they did blow out Wake Forest this weekend. Uh, you know, Florida, but as I said, Florida's downward spiral this year. It just didn't really, left a lot to be desired as really a matchup on how elite Georgia really is. You know, they haven't played an elite offense yet. So they will, in, you know, in two weeks against Alabama. So moving on to number two, uh, I actually moved Alabama down this week and put Ohio State that that win was impressive that was a, a good Michigan State team and they just came out and ran them out of the horseshoe up there in Columbus I mean it was a it was a butt kicking so that offense as I said is electric and right now I think they're the best second best team in the country uh, moving on to number three I got Alabama you know, they pulled out a game against Arkansas I don't think it should have been as close as it was but you know, Bryce Young sets a passing record. Jamison Williams is the best deep threat in college football, in my opinion. That dude can fly down the football field. It's it's pretty insane to watch. But uh, Will Anderson, obviously, on the defense is, you know, up there. And some people even have him in Heisman talks. I'm probably not willing to go that far. But, you know, he's a stud. And they, they just got to shore up some things. I think Bama's kind of, you know, coming off that national championship of last year. They're kind of trying to find that hunger because it's hard to stay hungry every year like that. That's one of the most impressive things about Nick Saban is his ability to keep his teams hungry. But moving on here to number four, the last spot in the playoff, I got Cincinnati right now. Cincinnati's coming off a, a thrashing of SMU. They really put everybody on notice. A lot of people thought SMU were going to give give them trouble, and they didn't at all. It was a it was a, a showing that Cincinnati needed, and I, I really think you know they got a legit shot with Oregon going down to get in the playoff if they run the table. So. You know, Desmond Ritter up there, the quarterback, he's had a solid game. Luke Fickle's really done a good job there, and we'll talk more Luke Fickle in our coaching carousel update. 
but they, you know, they're they're letting everybody know that they're they're coming and they're going to try to get in that playoff and make some noise. So, moving on to number five, I got Ole Miss. I moved them up from six from last week. I know they wasn't an impressive win by any stretch of the imagination against Vanderbilt, but I think coming off that huge win against Texas A&M, looking forward to the Egg Bowl, which we'll also get into here in the last segment of the show. And, you know, they looked good early. They kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, which is not concerning. I know they're playing a bad Vanderbilt team. But Matt Corral played in the last game in Oxford. You know, like I said, they're going to play Mississippi State on Thanksgiving night, and that's always a fun game to watch. So I got them at five right now. And number six, I think an underrated team people aren't talking about enough is Oklahoma State. They play a really smash-mouth, throwback, defensive style of football that's not, you know, custom to the Big 12. You know, typically you think Big 12, you think these high-powered offenses, and they definitely have some of those. But Oklahoma State's kind of going the other way. Um, almost like a Georgia is in the SEC. You know, everybody's going making that move towards offense, and they're just playing good, solid defensive football. Um, they got Bedlam this week. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, it, you know, they're, they're a solid football team. If they keep winning and they're a one-loss Big 12 champion team, it, it gets real interesting with that playoff. You know, would they put a one-loss Big 12 champion in over Cincinnati? You know, I don't know. Um, so, Oklahoma State's the number six team in the country for me right now. And moving on here to our third segment already, kind of flying through this. Uh, this segment's going to be the the meat of the episode. So I decided to do something a little different with the top jobs that are open. I decided to give three candidates for those jobs, a dream candidate, a more realistic one, and a backup potentially. So we're going to start off here with Washington. And the dream candidate here has got to be Chris Peterson. Um, he was the head coach of Boise State when and put them on the map and then moved to to Washington and you know got them to a playoff he's you know a fantastic football coach uh, if you look at his coaching resume you know he was 147 38 in his career he had a 793 winning percentage which is elite you know you're looking at winning eight out of ten games that's that's up there with the elite guys like I said he put Boise State on the map he won two Pac-12 titles at Washington, led them to a college football playoff. Um, you know, them and Oregon are the only two Pac-12 teams to be in the playoff. Oregon was in, I think, the first year with Marcus Mariota, but Washington was in it. I think it was it was either a year or two later. I'm not quite sure, but you know, uh, he would be a dream. He's coached there before. He knows the culture. He stepped away to, you know, kind of take a break. He didn't retire. He resigned and named Jimmy Lake, who who was let go a couple weeks ago take over for him but you know that's really got to be their dream candidate he's a he's a fantastic football coach he doesn't get talked about enough in terms of you know the Sabans and Urban Myers and like those guys for the last 20 years because he hasn't won a national championship but you look at those that winning percentage that's that's up there with those guys you know that's elite so I really think that would be their dream candidate would he take it I don't know does he does he want to get back into coaching that's not a question I can answer but moving on to their realistic candidate, or more realistic candidate, I should say, uh, Joe Moorhead. He's the current offensive coordinator at Oregon. Um, he was the head coach at Mississippi State. He took over after Dan Mullen left to go to Florida. And he just wasn't really a good culture fit. He's more of a northeast, northwest type kind of guy. He doesn't really fit that whole southeast style of football. Uh, he was 14-12 and 12 at Mississippi State, you know. 
I think he's a better culture fit at Washington. I think, you know, you look at what he's done at Oregon. Obviously, they struggled on offense this past week, but I don't think that should deter you from, from making that move. He's a good coach. I just think, he, like I said, he'd be a better culture fit in in Washington. The thing they got to do is they got to get someone who's a culture fit. I mean, every coaching search has to do that, but and that's probably probably the hardest thing. You know, you can find anyone who can dial up you know football plays, but having someone who understands the culture and embraces it is really important. But I think he's a real a really good realistic candidate for them. If Chris Peterson, I mean, he's probably your first call just to see if he's interested. But Joe Moorhead is the realistic candidate. And the backup for them, it's really hard to gauge where they're at in their coaching search. So I threw a name up there, Jay Norvell. He's the current head coach at Nevada. He's 32-25 and 25 there. Uh, he definitely should be further down the list than a Moorhead and Seth definitely further down the list than a Chris Peterson. But, you know, he's a good football coach. He's got Nevada rolling this year they you know they have Carson Strong he's leaving after this year their quarterback who's probably going to be a first or second round pick so do you want to you know build that up or do you want to strike while the iron's hot and try to get a big job where you can get some better players and recruit those more elite guys like I said he should definitely be further down the list in terms of guys they're looking at but he'd be a solid hire I think I don't think he you know he's not you know beating the brakes off anybody else but I think he'd be a solid fit there. You know, he seems to always be a West Coast kind of kind of guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, other guys. You know, you look at Justin Wilcox. I think it is at Cal. Uh, what is it, Keelan DeBoer? I think at San Diego State or Fresno State. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you look at those two programs, what they're they're doing right now. Um, so their coaches are potentially you know names, potential backups. But those those are the three that I pinpointed for Washington. Um, moving on here, Virginia Tech does a really underrated job, in my opinion. You know, you look at what Frank Beamer was able to do there for decades. This this is a job that's got a lot of potential. So for their dream candidate, and I don't know how much of a dream this is, essentially, because rumors are indicating that he's their number one and there's potentially been some progress already made there. I have Dave Clawson. He's the head coach at Wake Forest. He's 49-46 and 46 at Wake, which is impressive because Wake Forest is – Essentially, always been referred to as the Vanderbilt of the ACC. It's a very good academic school, but he's got them rolling. You know, Sam Hartman is the quarterback there this year. He's been one of the better quarterbacks in the country. That offense is flying around. And I think with some more advantages in the recruiting department and budget and stuff like that that he would have at Virginia Tech over Wake Forest, he could do some real damage. Um, Like I said, I don't know how much of a dream it is because – there's reported to be some progress already made there on a deal potentially. You know how much of that's true, I don't know. Obviously, it's uh, it's rumor season, but like I said, Dave Clawson's a really good football coach. He's an ACC guy and has proven he can win in that conference with a team that historically hasn't. So if you put him on a team who historically has won in that conference, you might just like what you get. You might you know hit the big bucks there. So moving on to a realistic candidate, and this is a guy we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, um, Billy Napier from Louisiana. He uh, He's a big name on the coaching search uh, block, if you will. Like I said, he's the head coach at Louisiana. He's 38-12 and 12 there. He has won the Sun Belt West all four years he's been there. 
which is impressive because Louisiana was not very good before he got there, and he's really installed the program and the culture there. A lot of people honestly compare him to Nick Saban, like a Saban light, which should suggest that he should be in your coach and search name if you're one of these big-time programs. Like I said, he's he's won the Sun Belt West all four years. He's been there. He's won the, he won the Sun Belt last year. He's a young guy. I think he's 42. So he's got a lot of upside. And rumors are he really likes that job. It's a very stable job you know, from all the years of Frank Beamer. Obviously, Justin Fuente didn't work out there. But he's, he's a guy that Virginia Tech should definitely be looking at. And then for them, the backup, that's a little bit interesting because you look at you know, the Dave Clausens and the Billy Napiers of the world, you know, do you look, you take a chance on a, you know, a coordinator and let him be a first-time head coach and really on there? I don't think so. I think you can look to those smaller ranks again. And Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, he's the head coach there. He's 27 and 19 there. Um, I think with his interesting offensive style, it almost reminds me like a triple option out of the shotgun. It's very, it's a very cool style of football to watch. I actually enjoy it. But he deserves a shot at a bigger program with what he's done there. I think he's going to get it eventually. He has, like I said, an interesting and different offense for the ACC. Would it work? I mean, we saw Paul Johnson at Tech with a triple option work. This is more of like a a mix-up between the spread and the triple option. You know, they run a lot of triple option concepts out of the you know shotgun and spread formation. You know, he's... Not a local guy per se, per se to Blacksburg, but he's been in that area and understands that area. And I really think after your Dave Clausens and your Billy Napiers, he should be a guy who's really looked at as a potential backup plan who could really do some good things there. You know, you look at what they've been able to do with some. Obviously, you're not recruiting at the same level at Coastal as you would be Virginia Tech. So with some different athletes, I mean, I think he's got the potential to do do a good job there. So that's it for Virginia Tech. Um, that's a really good job that I don't think people are talking about enough. But moving on to one of the, the big three that's already open. Um, you know, Obviously, there's a potential more could come open. But USC, I think their dream, I think they need a, a culture builder and a program builder. And for me, their dream hire should probably be Luke Fickle. I don't think they get him because he doesn't seem like a type of guy that would would leave the Midwest. He's a big Midwest guy. He's the current head coach at Cincinnati. He's 45-14 and 14 there. Um, I don't think he'll take it, like I said. He's a Midwest guy. So I think, I think he stays in the Midwest and waits for a Penn State or potentially a Ohio State, Notre Dame, something like that. A big job in the Midwest to open up. But the AD at USC hired Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, so he's definitely reached out and made made that call to see if he would be interested. It gets a little timing doesn't work out really with if since he gets in the playoff because then you're waiting until, you know, early January before he's going to make that move. So I definitely think that's the dream for USC. You know, I mean, could they go out and try to, you know, lure, a, you know, I don't know, a Bob Stoops or someone like that out of retirement? I don't think he'd take it. Um, we'll get into a job. I think he, he would – realistically look at later but you know I just I, th I don't think Luke Fickle's leaving Cincinnati to go to USC but I, th I think he'd be a great hire if they could land him uh, so moving on to the more realistic candidate uh, James Franklin I really think he's maxed out at Penn State he's the current head coach there he was 25 and f or 24 and 4 and tr excuse me if I could talk 
24 and 15 at Vandy before he took the Penn State job, um, which is really impressive to have Vandy over 500. Obviously, you know, they're kind of the academic schools, the Southeastern Conference, and don't really compete in football the same way they do in other sports. Obviously, they have an elite baseball program and a good, solid basketball program. But being over five, 10 games over 500 roughly at Vanderbilt is impressive. He's 66 and 32 at Penn State. Like I said, I think he's kind of peaked there. He came in and installed a culture. He's a really good recruiter. I think he's a good program builder. He's not an elite X's and O's guy, but I really think you know USC could could benefit from him. I think he would kill it in recruiting in you know Southern California, you know LA, all that, all that that city has to offer. I think he'd do a good job there, and. Like I said, I think they need a program builder. I definitely think he fits that bill. Um, rumors are he's probably now more likely to stay at Penn State. Obviously, their season hasn't wound up the way they wanted it to. So, you know, do they get him? Maybe. I think he's probably the most realistic big name for them. Uh, moving on to the backup. This guy's just not as proven as the other two with Luke Fickle and James Franklin. Excuse me. Um, the backup, I think, should be David Randa. He's doing a heck of a job at Baylor. He's the current head coach there. He's 10-9, and 9, which seems like it's not a great record, but he was 2-7 and 7 last year, and he's got him in the top 10 this year. Um, they've really turned it around. He's a solid leader. Um, I think that's something USC really needs. You know, you look at when Pete Carroll was there, he was that solid central figure that could always be counted on. They really haven't had that. You know, they had Kiffin, who at that point in his career wasn't that. You know, then they go to Clay Helton. He wasn't that. But he's really building the program there at Baylor, and I think he's doing a good job. Um, he seems to be a West Coast guy. You know, I think he grew up out there. Does he fit your culture? I know he's coached a lot in the SEC. Does he fit that culture of West Coast? It's a little more laid back, not as cutthroat out there. But I really think he'd be a good hire for them. I, I, I really, really do. So, like I said, uh, Luke Fickle's the dream, James Franklin's more realistic candidate, and Dave Aranda's the backup, as of right now, if I was the athletic director at USC. Uh, moving on to LSU here. Um, the dream hire has, has been rumored for LSU. Uh, money doesn't appear to be an issue at LSU. Scott Woodward, the AD, has made that abundantly clear. So the dream candidate right now has to be Lincoln Riley. He's the head coach at Oklahoma. There's already been a reported deal offered in eight years, $96 million. That's $12 million a year. That's more than what Saban makes. So, you know, they're really swinging for the fences here. Uh, Lincoln Riley is a great offensive mind. I think he would kill it there with better access to, you know, that southeastern recruiting base where there's a lot of premium high-end talent that I don't think you can't get at Oklahoma, but I think it's easier to get them at LSU than it is at Oklahoma, so I really think he, you know, they're swinging for the fences on that one, would he take it, potentially, I mean, it'd be really interesting if he did with Oklahoma's move to the SEC in the next, you know, couple of years, you know, obviously that's been reported as as early as next year, 2023, or, you know, they play out their contract and don't move till 2025, but that's definitely the dream for LSU, they're they're swinging for the fences, I don't think they're going to get Jimbo Fisher, I thought about putting that here, but he doesn't seem like he seems pretty happy in in uh, Aggie Land down there at A and M, so I, I don't think they're going to get him. 
I definitely think Scott Woodward's already put some feelers out there, but Lincoln Riley seems to be the more realistic dream. Um, the realistic candidate here, uh, Luke Fickle. I think he's, you know, obviously his name's going to have a lot of buzz attached to it. Like I said, he's 45 and 14 uh, at Cincinnati. Um, seems more likely to take this job if offered as opposed to USC. Obviously, this is a better job in my opinion um, with access to, you know, the Southeastern Conference. You know, you're in a, that premium conference, the, the best conference in the country. You could put up a border around Louisiana and pluck a couple guys from outside of Louisiana every year, and you're pretty much set recruiting-wise. So like I said, he's a strong culture culture guy. He's going to implement a system. So I really think that should probably their more realistic candidate than, than Lincoln Riley. Um, obviously with Cincinnati being in playoff contention, that kind of throws the, the timeline off a little bit. But the backup, and I don't necessarily know if this is a backup. I think this is a very realistic possibility as well. I think this guy is going to be courted by all the big schools out there is Billy Napier. Um, obviously, again, he was the head coach at Louisiana, or is the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette. He has Southeast ties. You know, he's coached at Bama and at Clemson. Um, I think he would kill it in recruiting there. He's known as a relentless recruiter, which is what LSU and these big-time programs need. You know, you look at what Florida did with Dan Mullen, who's not an elite recruiter, you know, you have to develop those guys, and you're good every two or three years as opposed to you know being able to reload like a Bama or a Georgia or Ohio State or someone like that. But obviously already in the state of Louisiana, he'd, ha- he'd have to come right down the road to Baton Rouge. But I, And I think he would do a good job there. I just don't think Scott Woodward is going to get to him because I think he wants that splashy big name. And I, don't, I think Napier's got all the upside of those guys, but just he's not that splashy big name yet. So... Um, obviously, for LSU, Lincoln Riley's the dream. Luke Fickle's a little more realistic, and Billy Napier is kind of the backup. That's not really a backup. He should be one of the top, you know, four names in that coaching search, in my opinion. Um, for Florida, I didn't get a chance to do dream, realistic, and backup plans, so I decided to just throw a few names out there. Um, Obviously, the white whale for Florida has always been Bob Stoops since Spurrier left to go to the NFL after the 2001 season, and he was at Oklahoma. Obviously, he served as Steve Spurrier's defensive coordinator at Florida when they won the national championship in 1995. But he's the white whale. Which I think he's if he's going to come out of retirement, the job he's most likely to come out for is Florida. You know, big game Bob in the SEC would be interesting. I think he'd be there for... Four or five years, he'd really be a stabilizing force for this program. I think he could identify someone on his staff. He could assemble a great staff first, and then he could kind of identify someone who he can hand the keys over to, and kind of kind of like he did with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. So I think he's definitely a name to watch. Um, would he take it? I don't know. I think this is the most likely job he has to take. Other candidates, you know, um, Billy Napier again. Uh, personally, the more I read about him as a Florida fan, the more I'm impressed. You know, I think he has massive potential with how he's made Louisiana almost an Alabama light in the way that he conducts his business like Nick Saban does, filling up journals with what every day's plan, what he's learned that day, so he can go back and pinpoint stuff that, you know, doesn't work or does work. You know, he's really set a, a foundation there with nutritionists, 
and recruiting department and stuff like that. And if a big-name school is going to make that commitment to Napier, I really think he would kill it at any big-name school he goes to. He's obviously turned down a few SEC jobs in the past. But I think it's because they didn't want to make the commitments that he wanted. And Florida, that's not going to be an issue. You know, LSU, that's not going to be an issue. They're going to make that commitment to you with whatever you want. Obviously, Florida probably needs to up, up their recruiting budget. You know, it reported not to be an issue, but Mullen just was like fine spending whatever because he thought he could just out-scheme everybody from an arrogant point of view for, for Dan Mullen. And that's why he doesn't have a job at the University of Florida anymore. But other, you know, candidates, I'll throw two more out there for you. Um, Lane Kiffin, he's probably number, he's probably 1A for me right now to Napier um, if, they can, if we can't get Bob Stoops. And I say we, like I'm in on the search committee. But I'm not. Um, but so Lane Kiffin for me, he's 14 and seven at Ole Miss. He's an elite offensive play caller. He, you know, he's Mullen was known to be one of the best X's and O's offensive coaches in college football. Lane Kiffin's right there with him. Uh, what they what he's able to do and dial up football plays and a game plan on offense is, is really impressive. He's a, he's a good recruiter. I know you wouldn't know it by Ole Miss's class ranking right now, but you look at his time. When he had the USC job, they averaged being, you know, around six in the recruiting classes he had there, which is really good for there. I think he could even up that at Florida. And he really has a swagger about him that connects with kids. People like him. Um, a lot of people, if he's not your guy, don't like him because of that. But that's akin to what Spurrier was. I mean, Spurrier was great if he was your guy. If he, if he wasn't, you didn't like him. So I definitely think Kiffin's a name to watch. I definitely think. You know, I think he's managed by, uh, or his agent, rather, is Jimmy Sexton. So even if he's not interested in the job, he's trying to get a raise out of this. Um, last name I'll throw out, Mario Cristobal at Oregon. He's 34-12 and 12 up there. He's an elite recruiter with a lot of in-state ties in the state of Florida. You know, he's he played at Miami. He's from this area. I think with him, he, he would need great coordinators to game plan. He could be kind of more the CEO. I think Napier would be that too, more of the CEO, and he would bring in great, great coaches to to game plan. But I really think Cristobal would need to do that. Um, you look at Oregon's offense; not the most explosive thing. Obviously, they got shellacked by Utah this past weekend. But you know, I think he's a guy to watch. Obviously, he gets you know shellacked, like I said, by Utah this week, and then the next day Florida makes a move. Some people have pointed to the timing of that. That's kind of interesting, but those would be the four candidates I'd really look at. Probably the top of the board for Florida is Bob Stoops is the white whale out there. You know, then you got Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, Mario Cristobal, those guys. Obviously, there's some other, you know, Luke Fickle, Dave Aranda. You know, we just don't know. But moving on, we're going to get into a preview of four games from for next weekend. Obviously, it's the hardest week in college football to pronounce. It's rivalry week, I have to enunciate that because if not I will mess that up entirely so um, first first game we're going to get into is Alabama Auburn uh, Bo Nix went down a couple weeks ago with an ankle injury that's going to keep him out for the year so that really hurt the the magnitude of this game because I think if they have Bo Nix they beat South Carolina they're coming in potentially with a chance to to win the West if they beat Alabama I think Alabama uh, kind of overlooked Arkansas in a sense. They were kind of like, oh, you know, Auburn lost last week. We, we're not, oh, maybe not overlooking them. Probably not the right word, but kind of just, oh, we can roll the ball there and we'll be able to beat these guys. I think that close call is actually a good thing for Alabama. They're not going to 
take this game as lightly as I thought they took the, you know, the game against Arkansas. This is the Iron Bowl. This is bragging rights for the state. I think they're going to come out there and they're going to take care of business against Auburn. I think they're going to shellack them, honestly, and try to send a message to Georgia for that SEC championship game the next weekend. So I really got Alabama rolling here. Obviously, you know, Auburn coming off that loss to South Carolina, which is an embarrassing loss, and I would know because Florida got shellacked by him. You know, it's a very embarrassing loss to a first-year head coach. It's not as embarrassing for Auburn, actually, without their starting quarterback and a first-year head coach themselves at Auburn. But I like Alabama here. I would take Alabama in the points if you're betting on it. I don't know what the line is, but whatever it is, but take Alabama. So moving on here, uh, one of my games every year that I really enjoy because on, it's always on Thanksgiving night is the Egg Bowl. You know, you got Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I think this game is going to be fun if you're not doing anything and you're you're stuffed from all the turkey and and dressing and mashed potatoes and all that stuff after eating with your families on Thanksgiving. You know, give this game a shot. This is going to be a shootout. You know, you look at what these two offenses are able to do. Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin on one side versus Will Rogers and, and Mike Leach on the other. They got two two different ways of, of going about it. Obviously, with Mike Leach, you're running that air raid system, and Will Rogers is really coming to his own. Has a chance, I think, next year to be a potential Heisman finalist. People aren't talking about him enough. Matt Corral's obviously a, a name who's been connected with the Heisman all year. This is his last regular season game at Ole Miss. So... You know, this is a big game. I think it's going to be a shootout, like I said. But I like the Rebels here. Um, I think Matt Corral does enough to get it done. I think Lane Kiffin will have a really great game plan in place to to really attack that that Mississippi State defense the way Alabama did when they they went into to Starkville and hung you know forty nine on them. So I like I like Ole Miss here. Um, yeah, so I mean, Ole Miss is the, is the play here. I don't know what the line is, I, so I'm not gonna gonna pick it against the spread. But I like Ole Miss to win the game and uh, finish with a ten and two record this year. And on to the third of our four previews. Uh, we're gonna go with Bedlam. This is a fun game every year. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Both teams have one loss, uh, but I like the Cowboys here. You know, they have a throwback, smash mouth style of defense they play in the Big Twelve. Obviously, I touched on that earlier. It's more of a throwback. You know, you don't really put Big 12 and elite defenses together, but they just play consistent. And so far this year, they've been way more consistent than Oklahoma. Oklahoma's had some high highs and some low lows, but they've kind of just been in that middle ground like every every week. And you just, you know, obviously they struggled on the road at Kansas, but then, you know, Texas jumps out a huge lead on them, and they come back and win that game. So there's just not a very consistent football team this year. So I like the Cowboys here. They've been far more consistent. That defense, like I said, flies around the field and is very you know assignment-oriented. Everybody knows what their job is, and they play that way. And when all 11 guys are doing that on the field, it really aids your ability to, you know, almost play like a, like a boa constrictor and just squeeze the life out of that opposing offense. Georgia does the same thing. But, you know, with that defense being the way it is and then being home, I think it's a big factor. And Stillwater, that's an underrated place to play. From everything I've heard, it's, it's loud there. It gets real loud. And I really think that, that home crowd is going to be the difference in this game. So I like Oklahoma State here. And the big one of the weekend is, what is it, the big game? 
I think is what they call it, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. It's it's a big game this year. You know, you're looking at two top ten teams, two potentially two top five teams when the rankings come out on Tuesday. Obviously, I'm recording this on Monday morning, but the Buckeyes are going to roll Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines this weekend. You know, I know transitive property doesn't work, but you look at what look at the common opponents between the two, and Michigan State really jumps off the page. Obviously, Michigan went on the road and played in East Lansing against Michigan State and lost. Florida, or Florida State, excuse me, Ohio State got him at home and uh, just rolled them. I mean, fifty-six to seven. That game was never remotely in question for Ohio State. So I mean, I'm not. I'm, not sure off the top of my head where this game's at. I think it's in Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's in the big house. I could be wrong, though. Um, but, yeah, I like Ohio State to roll here. You know, they they put everybody on notice with their win this past week against against Michigan State. And, like I said, they're going to roll Michigan, in my opinion. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is a very, a very good football coach. I think he's overrated. Um as a program builder, obviously, look, he's been there for a number of years, and they've never even went to the Big 12 or Big 10 championship game. So I like Ryan Day, who's never lost a Big 10 conference game in his time at Ohio State as the head coach. He's never lost. All of those losses have been in the playoff or out of conference, obviously, with their loss to Oregon this year. But like I said, Ohio State rolls Michigan here for me. I think this game could be kind of akin to – the Michigan State game we saw this past weekend where by the end of the first quarter, you know, all right, well, that's a wrap. I can I can go watch another game. I can throw another game on the TV. I can grab some wings or something. I don't have to pay close attention to this game because it's not going to go down on the wire. But that'll that'll wrap up this week's episode, you know. Uh, let, let me know what you thought of those coaching candidates for some of those big jobs, obviously. You know, there's probably going to be a surprise or two. Coach get let go at the end of the year. I don't know about surprise in for Manny Diaz at Miami but I definitely think he's on the chopping block so let us know what you know what you thought about those coaching candidates if you're a fan of any of those schools let us know who you would want and uh obviously subscribe it really helps us out a lot you know leave us a rating on Spotify or on iTunes you know wherever you're listening and uh keep your notifications on so you never miss an episode all right and we will see you guys next week have a good week everybody